0: gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg.
1: As I continue on The Mend with Gene and Chris, we're going to have a fascinating discussion where we go, I guess, back to the traditional look at the UFO field. We'll get into that in a moment. Now, as you know, no matter what happens in this world, there has to be a conspiracy theory about it. So what's the latest? Well, the death of Justice Scalia. A conspiracy theory? Well, didn't the guy die of a heart attack or something? And there's some crazy things about it. So, for example, he was pronounced dead at this place in Texas by a justice of the peace who actually never saw the body. So the only people who actually saw the body, I guess, at first after he was discovered, were the U.S. Marshals. Is that enough for a conspiracy theory, Chris?
2: Uh, I don't know. It seems a little, little hinky. You know, um, he wasn't very well liked by uh, quite a few people. And um, you know, what can you, what can you say? I mean, the guy, you know, <laughs> had been on the court since '85. Uh, he was 79. There were reports that when they found him, there was a, a pillow on his face. So he seemed to be in good health uh, the night before, good spirits. He did have some health problems, uh, but the family doesn't want an autopsy. So, you know, I don't know. Go figure.
1: Well, I assume a sheriff's department can order an autopsy no matter what the family thinks. That's the first thing. If there's any possible evidence of foul play. But right now, the only questions being asked, I guess, are by controversial talk show host Michael Savage and I guess by Alex Jones. I think their implication will be, well, the Obama administration wanted to get rid of Scalia, so they offed him. But this is going to be really crazy because the chances that Obama would even get a Supreme Court candidate approved this year because of all the election year nonsense, it's not very high. So I don't see how that works.
2: No. He nominated a, a Hindi-American uh who was unanimously approved, I think, for a circuit court judge. So if he nominates him, they have no uh, excuse to, you know, hold up the nomination since they've already Senate and uh, has already, I think it's a Senate, right, that approves nominations. They've already unanimously approved the nomination uh, at a lower court. So, you know, there are ways around that.
1: Right. This particular person was approved by, I think, a 97 to 0 vote, which in this political climate is something unheard of. Now, there are other conspiracy theories about what they could do. So, for example, if he can't get a nominee approved and say the Democrats lose the election but gain the Senate, there's a 17-day period from the time the new Senate takes office in January of 2017 until the next president takes over so he can nominate anyone if he had a Democratic Senate. I mean, talk about conspiracy theories. I just think the guy died. He is somebody who clearly was a little bit overweight or more than a little overweight. He's 79 years of age. There are reports he had some chronic health problems. We assume possibly blood pressure, heart, the usual stuff. But if there's going to be a conspiracy theory, there's going to be one. And maybe it would be more reassuring to everybody to go through a more normal investigative process. I don't know.
2: Whoever gets in is going to probably have three additional seats to fill on the Supreme Court because uh, there's some folks, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. uh, There's several people that are kind of getting up in years. Justice
1: Justice Kennedy, Kennedy, possibly Justice 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 Thomas, Thomas. Well,
2: Thomas never should have been in there in the first place. Just ask uh, Anita Hill about Long Dong Silver.
1: I don't even want to get into this. This is just getting too crazy. You think that the WWE, Worldwide Wrestling Organization, gets crazy. If you haven't seen it yet, look for a replay of the last Republican debate. I think it's going to replace wrestling in ratings.
2: Yeah, they all agreed that uh, they were all liars. They just couldn't agree on who was the biggest liar.
1: This was the pants-on-fire debate. And that place was in flames. Anyway, let's move on to our corner of the world. What I'm really happy is the fact that the discussion about Whitley Strieber's appearance in the Paracast has been mostly quite civil. You know, a lot of... I expected a little more... Harsh criticisms, but there hasn't been that much.
2: Yeah. Well, again, I think you pointed it out that, that we had to get beyond the debate of whether he was lying and making all this stuff up or not. And we'll just give him the benefit of the doubt. And that way, you know, we're not gonna get bogged down and and, and lose him the first half hour that we got him on the show. So, you know, we had to defer to uh um, you know Suspend our our disbelief something to some degree, but um, I think all in all it went well, and I think people are re- responding to it very well. I I've, I've been told to go ahead and, and re-listen to it, um, which I I never do re-listen to shows. I mean they take too too much of my time already, in having to get my my schedule around uh, some of these taping sessions. So you know I don't re-listen to shows. I may. Go back and re listen to this one uh, simply because I I need a few things clarified in my own mind. But um, yeah, I think um, I I appreciate people, you know, uh, understanding um, the sensitive nature, you know, losing his wife and and stuff and and being under attack for 30 years uh, already. Uh, You know, I, I think people appreciated our kinder and gentler
1: approach. Also, whatever happened to him? And I can't pretend to know. I don't think it's a 30-year performance art project where he just made it up and kept this thing going on for 30 years. I think people have better things to do. And sure, perhaps he made a reasonable amount of money from the first couple of books and maybe that movie deal. But after that, I think it's been more of a negative than a positive. So it doesn't make sense to me. Just crazy things happen to people. And because he was in the position of being a best-selling author, what he had to say had resonance. But if there was no Whitley Strieber, we might still have a cultural meme of gray aliens. It would just come from somebody else. Maybe it was just time. I don't know. That's also another strange theory. In any case, there it is, folks. Will we have Whitley Strieber on the PowerCast again? I don't know if he has something else he wants to talk about. If there is interest from our listeners, I suppose we could ask him. But right now, I think we've covered the story as best we can. Yep. So let's move on. All right. We're getting back to a more traditional look at UFOs after looking at a lot of interesting alternatives like alternate realities and synchronicities, and subjective experiences. We're going to bring back on this week's episode, Peter Davenport of the National UFO Reporting Center. And he's got a lot of interesting things to talk about. One, of course, is recent sightings and the reports, for example, of red, orange, and yellow fireballs, sightings of clusters like that. And he says, These reports do not involve so-called Chinese lanterns. And he also has a proposal on hand to develop some kind of UFO detection system using passive radar, folks. that sounds interesting. So there's a lot to talk about with Peter Davenport, and he's weighing in the wings, and we'll get to him in the next segment. Let me get to this. We had a lot more detailed discussion about Whitley Strieber, In this past week's episode of After the PowerCast, that's a feature of the PowerCast Plus. If you want to learn more about it, go to plus.thepowercast.com. That's P-L-U-S.thepowercast.com. It's a low subscription fee, lots of great benefits, also the ad-free version of this show. So check it out, plus.thepowercast.com. Peter Davenport coming up with Gene and Chris. You're in. The Paracast. I know that a lot of our listeners are interested in UFOs, the issue of giant skeletons found in America, paranormal investigations, and what the top researchers think about such topics. One online magazine has been presenting such unusual information since 1985. It is Alternate Perceptions Magazine at apmagazine.info. Use their search function to find articles on just about every topic imaginable. That's apmagazine.info. Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code. They're offering substantial hosting discounts on shared hosting, business hosting, VPS hosting, reseller hosting, and even dedicated servers. Namecheap is preferred by millions. It's backed by a money-back guarantee. Use the coupon code LEGENDARY to cash in on this special deal at Namecheap.com. Namecheap.com.
3: This is a healthcare alert from the Pain Relief Hotline. If you, a family member, or a loved one suffers from knee, back, shoulder, or ankle pain and have Medicare as your primary insurance, we've got great news. You don't have to suffer any longer. You can immediately qualify for a pain relieving brace at little or no cost to you by calling our 24-7 pain relief hotline at 866-389-0620. Delivery is free and all paperwork is handled for you. If you are on Medicare and have knee, back, shoulder, or ankle pain, don't wait you can qualify to immediately receive a pain relieving brace at little or no cost by calling our 24-7 pain hotline now at 866-389-0620. Our representatives are standing by 24-7 to take your call and rush you your pain relieving brace at little or no cost to you. Shipping is free and all paperwork is handled for you. Just call 866-389-0620. That's 866-389-0620. Again, 866-389-0620. Removing
4: bad taste and odor from your drinking water is easy. Removing the bad stuff you don't taste is what Pro Pure does best. Water the way nature meant it to be—clean, crisp, and refreshing. See the complete line of Pro Pure countertop, inline, gravity, and household water filtration products. Visit your authorized Pro Pure dealer or ProPureUSA.com. That's P-R-O-P-U-R-U-S-A.com, or call eight hundred five four four three five three three.
5: Are you sneezing, coughing, and aching? Do you have a sore throat, a fever, or the sniffles? There's no reason to be sick this cold and flu season with immune system support from Supernatural Silver. Supernatural Silver can give your body the help it needs to fight off harmful pathogens without hurting beneficial gut flora and without leaving behind resistant bacteria. Antibiotics can damage good microflora and often leave behind bacteria, which can cause problems later on. If you're sick of being sick, try Supernatural Silver. Supernatural Silver, the number one choice of thousands for a safe and effective way to protect against the many diseases and illnesses that we are facing today. Go to SupernaturalSilver.com, read our customer reviews, and see the life-changing results that people are having. That's SupernaturalSilver.com. SupernaturalSilver.com. Use the promo code PROTECTED for 20% off your entire order. And like us on Facebook, Supernatural Silver.
6: This is Holly Thomas, Group Vice President of Cause Marketing for Macy's. Our company is working together with the March of Dimes through March for Babies to raise money and awareness about the serious problem of premature birth in the U.S. That's why Macy's is committed to raising funds through our employees, customers, family, and friends to improve the health of moms and babies everywhere. Won't you please join us in March for Babies? Start a team today at marchforbabies.org.
0: We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com.
1: We're joined by Peter Davenport of the National UFO Reporting Center. It's been a while since we heard from him. In fact, 2013, as a matter of fact. So lots of things have happened. We're going to give you a UFO update, update on the latest sightings, latest theories, and about... Peter, your proposal for some kind of UFO detection system, we'll get to that later. But let me ask you here about UFO sightings in general. There's been a perception in recent years that we don't get as many cases as we used to. What's your perception of that?
7: Yeah, it's all wrong. (laughs) There are many, many perceptions, many claims, all sorts of things that go on in uh, ufology and It's sort of interesting. I have a sort of a uh, catbird seat on all of this. Most of those comments, most of those impressions, most of those claims I find just don't conform to the reality of the phenomenon as I see it. And there are very few people who spend as much time in a given day uh, trying to collect UFO reports as I do. Interestingly, I'm just reading, rereading, I suspect, a book published in 1956 by Edward J. Rupel, who was the head of Blue Book back in the 1950s. Sure. And as I read his description of what was going on back then in 1950, 51, 52, it appears to be exactly the same thing that we're seeing today. The phenomenon appears to me not to have changed one whit. And he, I just uh, last night was reading a section in which he comments that they were getting about 10 to 20 reports per day. Well, I'm getting more than that. I'm probably getting 20 to 30 reports per day. So the phenomenon has not changed since 1952.
1: Well, in those years, we had reports of radar visual sightings. And I haven't heard of much of that in recent years. Is it that they're not being reported or what?
7: Well, they're not being reported from the radar side because Almost all radars in the United States are controlled by whom? By the U.S. government. They're either military radars or FAA radars. There are a few uh, weather radars. I don't know if they're run by television stations or whether those stations just subscribe to government radar. The issue with radar is they're very expensive to acquire, and they're pretty expensive to run because of the power consumption and of course they have to be staffed by people who are watching the screen but i'm not not surprised that the government is not reporting radar sightings because it's the government and they don't want you and me or our listeners to even think about the ufo phenomenon they want us to uh... remain naive with regard to the ufo what's going on in the field of ufology So. I have posted radar sightings. In fact, one comes to mind immediately, and any of our listeners can look this up on the National UFO Reporting Center website, ufocenter.com. There was a beautiful radar visual sighting on the, I think it was the 22nd of June, year 2000. Aircraft was flying in the vicinity of Rhode Island, Providence, Rhode Island. Had an object go right by him. He called the FAA air traffic control system, and they confirmed that they could see now an object tracking his airplane. So there are radar visual sightings from time to time.
1: What about the nature of the objects themselves? The same kind of objects we saw then, or has there been a change? Obviously, these fireballs that we're going to talk about indicate some sort of change, that we had that then.
7: Yeah. It's very interesting to see trends, to see changes, variations in the type of objects that are being reported. And interestingly, Jean, I can date this change fairly accurately. It's not as though we had not taken such reports before. It's just that they increased in frequency and increased to a dramatic degree, I'm sure if we were talking statistics, it would be a statistically significant increase. But we're talking, and you're correct. It's the issue of clusters of fireballs, and I'll direct our with our listeners to a few of the really interesting cases here in a moment. It was about the last week in May of 2012. We suddenly started receiving reports of clusters of fireballs, cluster being anywhere from two to two hundred of these red, orange, yellow, amber, and gold fireballs that started pouring in here. In fact, people can see the beginning. One of the early reports was from the first of June 2012 from a St. Louis police officer who was driving south of St. Louis on an interstate, I think Interstate 55 it is, And as he and his wife and their infant child were driving to the south, he was quite shocked, quite surprised to look off to his quartering right to the southwest and see a cluster of about a dozen or 14 orange lights moving very rapidly from his right to left, so they were going to the east. He started to slow down, I think he writes in his report, and other people obviously were looking at these objects too, because there was a some kind of collision of vehicles on the interstate, and he had to quickly pull over and go into his police officer mode, uh, investigating or tending to uh,
2: potential injuries. Peter, let me interrupt real quick. Was was it because people were not keeping their eyes on the road? They were watching this uh, particular phenomenal event, or? that
7: may be the case, although I haven't talked to those other people, so I can't confirm that. But uh, this officer said, he had an interesting comment. He's a practicing Christian, and he said this sighting of whatever those objects were uh, just shook his belief system to the roots of his soul. It's a very interesting comment. By He was a very eloquent uh, I suspect highly reliable witness and people can see that uh, report on our website again for the first of June 2012. Uh, There's some interesting reports, similar reports from the next day June 2nd 2012 from uh, Beacon Rock State Park here in the state of Washington where I am. Uh, several it, uh, groups reported, a sighting of a cluster of orange objects that were flying to the east up the Columbia River. This is probably twenty miles east of Portland, Oregon and the objects got to their general location just above the river and suddenly the orange objects turned, made a distinct turn, to the north and went streaking off into the night sky. People can read, again, the 2nd
2: of June, 2012. That <laughs> doesn't sound like Chinese lanterns to me.
7: No, and this if we, what you've cited is the very argument that a lot of people uh, level against uh, this phenomenon. They're saying, oh, they're Chinese lanterns, or otherwise known as sky lanterns or Japanese lanterns. And I'm fairly sure that some of these reports of clusters of objects may be due to the launch of Skylanterns. I address this in my public presentations and show video of what a launch of Skylanterns looks like.
1: Let's do the rest of that in our next segment. We have to do a brief break with Peter Davenport of the National UFO Reporting Center. We're talking about these unusual fireballs connected to the UFO phenomenon. With Gina and Chris, you're in the Paracast.
8: Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today
4: so you've got to take a state construction license exam or certification. Can't decide on what books or what chapters to study? Discover right now how you can eliminate unnecessary books and wasted study time. At ContractorExam.com, our study materials zero in on state-required test topics in an effective, multiple-choice format. So whether you're a plumber, electrician, general contractor, or other construction-related trade, ContractorExam.com will help get you prepared. Visit us at www.ContractorExam.com today.
11: Ted Anderson telling you about Jordan Rubin's Beyond Organic Green-Fed Raw Cheddar Artesian Cheese featuring whole milk created through ancient dairy breeding, unpasteurized, untreated whole milk on the same farm the cows graze, containing natural sources of omega-3s, CLA protein, calcium, probiotics, and enzymes. I have never tasted cheese this good, and you need to try it. Contact your Longevity distributor or call 877-878-4203 or go to GCNteam.com.
9: Is negative content or comments on the web affecting your personal or professional reputation? Unfavorable comments, embarrassing pictures, videos, legal documents, and negative articles can ruin your personal life, your career, or your business. It happens a lot and it's just not fair. But what can you do? Reputationdefender.com can help protect your good name. Get a free consultation now. Call 800-831-0771. That's 800-831-0771. Call right now for a free expert reputation analysis. It's easy to squash the unfair attacks with our patented system and the analysis is absolutely free. Make the best things about you jump out in searches. Protect your personal and professional reputation, your business and your income. Get your free reputation analysis from reputationdefender.com right now. Call 800-831-0771. 800-831-0771. That's 800-831-0771. Or visit reputationdefender.com today.
12: Attention citizens, this man has received national attention for accurately predicting every major financial trend, including the market crash of 2008. His name is Harry Dent, and in his newly released book, he is making even bigger and bolder predictions that have the potential to devastate the world economy and your personal wealth. You can get a free copy of Harry Dent's bestseller, The Demographic Cliff, containing never-before-published information by simply visiting www.harrydentresearch.com. Again, that's www.harrydentresearch.com.
13: Hi, this
7: is Joshua P. Warren, author of The Poor Man's Paranormal, and you're listening to the
13: Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio.
1: With Gene and Chris in the Paracast, we have Peter Davenport of the National UFO Reporting Center. Now, just as a point of reference here, if UFOs are solid metallic objects, What are the fireballs about? Are they just projecting lights or what?
7: You know, if I knew the answer to your question, Gene, I'd probably have a Nobel Prize to my (laughs) name.
1: Well,
2: Uh, I I think we can assume in some cases, uh, guys, that we're looking at some sort of plasma uh, effect, some sort of ionization effect that seems to surround uh, true foes, if you will. Um, Oftentimes you'll you'll have these types of effects, especially if you're in a moisture-laden environment.
7: I think that's not an unreasonable assertion, but we don't know for sure yet. And in fact, it is not just I who is talking about these phenomena. It's not just I who's collecting such reports. I talk infrequently to Roger Marsh, who is the editor of the UFO Journal for MUFON, monthly publication, of course. And he and I agree, and in fact, MUFON, I think, predicated on these reports has tasked a state director, in fact, it's uh, Erica Lukes, state director for MUFON for the state of Utah, who is now actively investigating these. I've shared some cases with her trying to get to the bottom of just what these things are. The reason I'm even talking about this phenomenon is because we don't understand what they are, and they don't seem to conform to any kind of terrestrial phenomenon that I can think of, with the exception of the Chinese lanterns. But I think we can rule out Chinese lanterns for the following several reasons. Number one, oftentimes these objects are seen maneuvering in different directions. If it were a cluster of Chinese lanterns, they would be drifting with the prevailing winds aloft, which usually are laminar, and not chopped up and not Taking, carrying objects in different directions. Not impossible, of course, but usually winds aloft are, are moving in one direction at a constant velocity. Also, some of these objects are seen to suddenly accelerate and accelerate dramatically and go streaking over the horizon. Yeah. Clearly not any kind of Chinese lantern or drifting body. Yeah.
1: The That's rapid the acceleration especially yeah. sounds mystifying, yes. Well, yeah.
2: it, I, it, this kind of reminds me of uh, some very impressive footage uh, that Jaime Masson had. know, it's kind of sprinkled in amongst all the obvious hoaxes and uh, misidentified natural phenomena, that sort of thing, birds, uh, whatever. And this was a, a daylight sighting, I believe, over Mexico, yeah, with a fairly object. large glowing orange object that seemed to be shooting out like a Roman candle from either end of the object, was shooting out smaller orange ob- objects that would then fly away, and and there were quite a number of them that seemed to be ejected. For the life of me, I, I really have never seen anything like it. It was actually very good footage, and um, I I personally feel that it was a a legitimate. Phenomenal event that was actually captured uh, optically. Some of these fireball sightings, of course, uh, are uh, being reported during the day. Not, these are not only nocturnal sighting events. And that would um, obviously kind of lean away from any sort of uh, man made Chinese lantern or, or, or something akin to that. But um, uh, have you seen that footage, Peter? I'm sure you have. Uh, very weird from about, I, uh, I think, t- 2010, maybe 20, uh, 2009, if I remember. Uh, Very, very impressive footage.
7: Yeah, I haven't seen that footage. If it's on the Internet, I'll try to
2: see it. Yeah, it's on YouTube.
7: Just to share with our listeners the volume of such reports that have occurred. Well, it started, as I mentioned earlier, in late May of 2012, approximately. We're almost to May in 2016. So in the last approximately 44 months or so, The National UFO Reporting Center has posted between 12,000 and 15,000 such reports to our website. Wow. And it's the most frequent subject of conversation when I do a presentation on UFOs or when I post a statement to our website. It is more often than not about one of these very dramatic sightings. If listeners would like to look at some of the really interesting sightings, I would call to their attention a very special report, special because it comes from a retired U.S. astronaut who lives in Athens, Texas. That's about 70 miles southeast of Dallas on the 5th of July, 2013. So we were about 14 months into this phenomenon when this report came in. Received a call from a gentleman who described himself as a retired astronaut. In fact, I've investigated and he is who he says he is. On that evening, he was standing outside with his wife and their adult daughter. He was facing the west. His wife was facing east. And she called to him and said, Honey, what's this? And he wheeled around just in time to see he describes an orange fireball streak over his head. He followed it visually as it moved very rapidly to the west. And she said, here comes another one. He turned around, here's a second orange fireball. All told, they witnessed, I believe it was six red or red-orange fireballs that night. I talked to him on several occasions, as you can well imagine. He would be perceived to be an excellent source of objective, reliable information. Indeed, he is, I believe. And he said, at one point in our conversation, he said, Peter... He said, I don't know what those objects were, but he said, I feel very comfortable in assuring you that they were not manufactured on our planet.
1: Let me ask you something here, which is also important. We're seeing these fireballs in the sky. How close do they seem to get?
7: Yeah, that's a very interesting question. We just posted a graphic image from a witness, I think in Pennsylvania, I'm going on memory now, who saw four or six of these fireballs, they were the perceived size of a full moon to the witnesses. Now, that's a pretty, pretty prominent object in the night sky, but your uh, question is a very good one, Gene. Is very pertinent. You always want to know how far away, and therefore how big were the actual objects, what was their actual dimension. You can't know that unless you can know your distance from them. But the problem is, almost invariably, and this is one of the great mysteries of the fireball phenomenon, one of the great mysteries is even in those instances where there's a dramatic display of a dozen or two dozen or three dozen orange objects, we get only, almost invariably, just one report about it. The question I ask is, what are those other witnesses who no doubt have seen the same display thinking about what they're looking at. Well, the thing I wonder
1: about too, Peter, not to interrupt you, is how many people even look up anymore they are too busy looking at their
7: iPhones? (laughs) Well, I think it's not a question. If that may be the case, and I've often mused and ruminated on that point, Gene, but I think it is more like the case that when people see something anomalous, really very flabbergasting, they're either inclined to forget it or file it away in the deep recess of their memory, or just decide that they're not going to get involved, or they don't want to spend the time, or they're just lazy. And I think the last the last element that I cite there explains it all. They don't want to take the time to find an organization like the UFO Center right. to report it, where even though it takes only about five strokes of a on a keyboard and hitting the return button to find a UFO reporting agency like mine, the National UFO Reporting Center, or MUFON, or UFOs Northwest, or uh, there are a whole bunch of them today who will accept reports. But even when they call over the UFO hotline, which we've maintained since 1974, and we ask them to submit a written report, More often than not, that's too much work for them. Yeah,
1: they can't be bothered. Well, this is the way the society is now. We're so inundated with survival. Everything else takes a backseat. Let's get to more of this with Peter Davenport. And Gene and Chris, you're in The Pericast.
8: Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today
6: conspiracy journal is your number one source for the hidden world of the weird and strange we bring you thought-provoking and controversial material for free-thinking individuals who are seeking what is really going on in our world today some of this material may adversely affect you other pieces are meant to enlighten Either way, be prepared to be intrigued by such things as the reality of UFOs, ghosts, strange creatures from time and space, hidden conspiracies, time travel, Nikola Tesla, suppressed technology, and a whole lot more. You can find out more by visiting our website at conspiracyjournal.com. There you can sign up for our free weekly newsletter sent directly to your email address. Find out what they don't want you to know.
13: owe ten thousand dollars or more to the irs get on board with the tax admiral don't pick on the irs alone i'll cut penalties and reduce your overall tax bill sometimes i can even get it zeroed out completely we're an a-rated company helping people clean up their mess with the irs if you owe ten thousand dollars or more then call the tax admiral call
3: 800-287-7180 again that's 800-287-7180
14: 800-287-7180
12: Attention citizens, this man has received national attention for accurately predicting every major financial trend, including the market crash of 2008. His name is Harry Dent, and in his newly released book, he is making even bigger and bolder predictions that have the potential to devastate the world economy and your personal wealth. You can get a free copy of Harry Dent's bestseller, The Demographic Cliff, containing never-before-published information by simply visiting www.harrydentresearch.com. Again, that's www.harrydentresearch.com.
15: This is Leslie Kane, and I'm with the Coalition for Freedom of Information, and you are listening to the Paracast.
1: On the Paracast with Gene Steinberg, Christopher O'Brien, we have Peter Davenport of the National UFO Reporting Center. So, kind of clarify this for me. At first, when I asked you about the frequency of sightings and the kind of sightings, you said they really hadn't changed that much from the 1950s, and Captain Ruppelt's book, the report on unidentified flying objects, but... This fireball phenomenon seems to be more prevalent now than it used to be. Correct me if I'm wrong.
7: Absolutely. It has grown in intensity to a point that it tends to alarm me, Gene. We have a phenomenon, a major phenomenon, as viewed from my vantage point, that is taking place. And we have a government that is saying absolutely nothing about it. And it, moreover, it is a phenomenon for which no ufo organization has any satisfactory explanation another case that comes to mind is particularly uh, representative of this phenomenon it's the twenty eighth of march twenty thirteen uh... glendale arizona a retired arizona highway patrol officer was standing in his house in glendale glendale is on the west side of greater Phoenix area.
1: I'm about an hour from
6: there.
7: Yeah, he was looking to the north and admiring a beautiful, clear nighttime sky, and suddenly an orange fireball streaked from his left to his right, that is from west to east in the northern sky from his vantage point inside his house. It was so shocking a sighting for him, so surprising that he rushed outside to see if he could see this object disappearing to, towards the uh, east. Well, he got out on his deck on the north side of his house and was viewing. He couldn't find the object. It had been moving so fast that it was gone from his sight by the time he got outside. But he, as he was standing on his deck, another cluster of several of them followed the same pathway across the sky that the first one had. And then another cluster, and another cluster, and another cluster. All told, about 150, he estimates, orange objects. And one witness, one report. (laughs) How can it be, I ask rhetorically. Over the fifth
2: largest metropolitan area in the country.
7: (laughs) Yeah. How can it be that an event, an alleged event like this, takes place, and there's no, I have to use alleged as a formality, there was no question remaining in my mind based on my two or three conversations with this gentleman that he was reporting truthfully uh... he said that he made the point i seem to recall that he really had no benefit from reporting this he was on retirement from the uh, arizona highway patrol duty that he had had for thirty five years he said there's no advantage for me to report this mister davenport but what I saw, I have no explanation for. And again, people don't have to believe what I'm saying. I was, I was born in Missouri 68 years ago. In fact, I lived in Ferguson, Missouri as a young kid. It's
1: I have to ask you state. about that sometime, but not now.
7: <laughs> That's the show me state. And for me, it's a very important principle, not only because of my birthright, but because of my training as a scientist. I, the only thing that matters to me is data data and evidence and corroboration and all of that, this was a very, very good sighting. And again, it takes us back to the mystery of how an event like this can occur, but there's only one report. How many tens of thousands of people must have seen the same thing, but they have not reported it? And it underscores my suspicion, my estimate, Gene, would be that out of about 20,000 Americans who see a phenomenon similar to what this retired uh, state patrol officer allegedly witnessed, out of 20,000 people who see a dramatic event like that, only one will ever come forward and report it.
14: Well,
1: let me ask you something here. <clears throat> and this is a ultimate question about UFOs and subjectivity, and it's more involved than maybe we wanted to get into. But if you put 10 people Out there in the field, you would maintain that if there was a fireball overhead or a 100 fireballs, all 10 people, assuming they have normal visual acuity, etc., etc., and you're looking in the same place, would see precisely the same thing?
7: Well, they would see the same thing, of course, depending on the quality of their vision. The question is what they would report if they reported it. And again, I make the point, and this is an important one, even the most important for our listeners, I would say probably 30% of the people listening to this program have seen UFOs, and only one in 20,000 of those listeners has ever reported it. So we can't post the reports unless we receive them. But out of 10 people who saw the likes of which that law enforcement officer saw on the 28th of September... 2013 probably not one of them would report it that's not a number of witnesses large enough to have at least one of them report it
1: let's let's put the request out there we've got quite a few listeners here a lot of whom live in the Arizona area this is September 28th 2013 yes what time again sir
7: uh, i was in the evening sighting and i seem to recall it was about nine o'clock, but people can find that report on our website. That's why we post all of these reports, of course.
1: Okay. So people may share in- Around 9 p.m. Mountain Time, September 28th, 2013, in and around Glendale, Arizona. We have listeners in Arizona. If any one of you out there saw something strange that day, Please let us know. You could contact Peter at the National UFO Reporting Center. You could check out the PowerCast. We have contact us links all over the place on our site. Let us know. We'll try to get this coordinated, because that's a problem. I mean, if one person reports something wacky, however credible that person is, there's always going to be a way to say, well, he saw something or something happened to him that is beyond our ken and maybe... That's why other people didn't see it. But as soon as two people see it, five people, ten people, we can put together something consistent. So let's see what happens. We'll put the call out there and see if we can get any response.
7: Yeah. But the problem is now, we're almost three years after the event, of course, two and a half years anyway. Uh, The problem now is most people will have forgotten it or it will have gone into deep memory. And they won't remember the date. If a person doesn't report a UFO sighting within 24 to 48 hours, when I talk to them about their sighting, more often than not, I would say, and that's a guess, more often than not, they don't even remember the day or date or day of week or or any of that information. The time and date of a sighting is one of the fastest things or one of the soonest things to disappear from the witness's memory. They remember where they were, interestingly. People have a very good locational memory. They don't have a good temporal memory. It's an interesting statement about human psychology.
1: What about then, and this is another thing attacked by the skeptics, the reliability of human testimony, especially something that's unexpected. And we have, what, the old Locke school experiment where they stage something for the students and everybody has a different answer. So when you look at multiple witnesses of something like this, we can talk about multiple witness sightings. And we have about a minute and a half for the segment. So if I'm rushing you, forgive me. No, what sorry. sort of variation do we see in descriptions?
7: Well, that's the interesting thing. Multiple sighting reports are probably the most interesting the phoenix lights down in your areas the most probably the most dramatic example of multiple witnesses over a large area reporting the same phenomenon over an extended period of time and in fact maybe after the break we can talk about the phoenix lights in detail if that's not whipping a dead horse back to his feet because it's been talked about so often but uh multiple witness cases are very useful because it allows us to triangulate on the objects. In other words, two or more witnesses looking at the same object at the same time can draw lines in the direction they're looking. All those lines will intersect and that will help us calculate how far away from the witnesses the object was and therefore what its size was.
1: I think the basic question I'm asking though and maybe we can flesh this out in our next segment where we will cover a little bit about the Phoenix Lights, and that is the variation in the testimony, the specific factual variations of different people, different backgrounds, seeing what may or may not be the same thing, and that's something we'll have to get into. We have Peter Davenport of the National UFO Reporting Center joining us in the PowerCast this week. We're coming up on a 10th anniversary show That's going to be kind of a work in progress. Let's see how that turns out to be. Doing this for 10 years. Can you believe it? With Gene and Chris, you're in The Paracast.
8: Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today.
17: You pick up the receiver. With your heart racing and sweat dripping from your forehead, you finally muster the courage to dial the number to call into your favorite talk radio show. It rings once, twice, and then... Hello, it's GCN. What's your name and the state you're calling from? Surprised you got through, you squeak out. Jason from Minnesota. Please hold. As you patiently wait for your turn, you begin to daydream about being a famous talk radio host and what it would be like to have your own show. Jason from Minnesota, you're up. Millions of loyal listeners worldwide waiting to call and talk to you. Caller, are you there? Cheering crowds surround you, calling out your name. Jay-Zone,
0: Jay-Zone, Jay-Zone, Jay-Zone. Going once! Twice! Okay, we gotta move on to the next caller.
17: You blew it. Huh? Wait, no! Interact with the host you're listening to right now, online at gcnlive.com. Click on the community link. Engage with other listeners. Ask questions. Start debates. Don't agree with the host? Let them know. Be a part of the community at gcnlive.com.
0: Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Jane Steinberg.
1: Before we continue with Peter Davenport of the National UFO Reporting Center... Let me remind you that we have a second radio show for you to check out called After the PowerCast. If you want to know more, just look to plus.thepowercast.com. The PowerCast Plus includes After the PowerCast, show transcripts, videos, the ad-free version of this show, no network ads, all that for a low subscription price, plus.thepowercast.com. So the question I posed of Peter Davenport in our last segment was the variation. How much of a variation do we see of people who appear to be seeing the same thing. Of course, you're talking about coordinating location, but what about verbal descriptions?
7: Yeah, there is always variation. When you're dealing with human beings, uh, we are not particularly skilled at watching something and then uh, watching something, memorizing it, and then reporting it exactly as it occurred. Your uh, suggestion that you're you're mentioning the uh, law school examples of how poor eyewitnesses are. However, I would cite the two cases that I focused on during well, make it four cases. The police officer in St. Louis, June 1st, 2012. Very good witness, very reliable. He said, "Look, Peter, I have nothing to gain by reporting this. In fact, everything to lose, including my job." But what I saw was so flabbergasting that I feel duty-bound to report it to an organization like yours. The next day, the 2nd of June, 2012, Beacon Rock State Park, it was three groups of campers, all of whom reported essentially the same thing at the same time. That's a very good report. Are you a retired U.S. astronaut? Uh, Is that a pretty reliable person? I think so. Retired. There's nobody who has a sword of Damocles poised over his neck. And I asked him how good his vision was, and he he said it's probably still 2015. So he got a good eyeball on those six objects that went over his head. And a retired Arizona Highway Patrol officer, you'd have to talk to him, Gene, to really understand how convincing this gentleman was. I tend to trust his report implicitly. So sometimes eyewitnesses are good. Your point is well taken, though. I wish the quality of the reports, both oral reports over the hotline and follow-up written reports over our website, were more thorough, more accurate more carefully prepared and so on, but you're dealing with the public. When you deal with the public, you have to roll with the punches.
2: Right, and, and you're dealing, for the most part, I would say the bulk of reports are from untrained witnesses. You're mentioning examples from uh, trained observers um, who you would think would have a little bit better um, ability to recall exact details. One thing that I've noticed in my work over the years is when a sighting event is shared by a group of people and when you interview them separately the the, the variation tends to be the actual duration. Some people yeah. think it happens very quickly. Other people, you know, time seems to slow down. So you have kind of a variation in, in the actual duration of the ev- event. And then the other thing that I've noticed too is people sometimes confuse what happened first, then what happened second, third, fourth, that sort of, of thing. People tend to jumble that up a little bit. For the most part, descriptions I think are fairly accurate in terms of color, size, motion, but it's it's the actual sequence of events and the, and the time duration that seems to, to ebb and flow a little bit.
7: Yeah. One of the things that happens too is when people see something that they perceive to be really anomalous, they, the emotion gets involved in it. An emotional witness is not as rock solid as a person who has the self-discipline to remain objective and factual and just record the event as it appears to that witness.
2: It it was beaming me. I knew it, knew I was there. I felt a connection.
7: (laughs) Yeah, the touchy and feely part of any sighting, and it occurs to all of us. I've seen UFOs before, and because of my familiarity with the field and my training as a scientist, I was able to get the hard facts, the time, the duration, the angles, the angle of elevation, uh, and so on and so forth. Some of the other people who were with me are not as highly trained in scientific observation as I may be, and we had slightly different renditions with regard to how long it lasted, uh, how much of the sky the object covered during the five seconds that we witnessed it, and so on and so forth. So it takes a little bit of training to be a really good observer of an event and report it factually.
1: And the problem we have with UFOs is we can't predict when the event will occur, so we can't always have the trained observer there. But let me move on to Phoenix Lights. And I don't want to beat a dead horse. We had this covered a couple of three times in the early days of the Paracast. So looking at an event from the 1990s here in 2016, what should we know today absent all the mysticism that has arisen about it, about the Phoenix Lights and their impact in terms of UFO events. Yeah, there are a couple
7: things I can mention. Number one, uh, we're going to have a convention up here in McMinnville, Oregon in mid-May of 2016 that will focus on the Phoenix Lights if anybody's particularly interested in that event. And they but why be. up
1: there and not in Phoenix?
7: Well, because the McMinnville... <laughs> festival is held in McMinnville, Oregon, southwest of Portland, and they've just taken an interest in it. A lot of past speakers have alluded to it, and they just decided that it would be interesting to focus on it and have all the speakers address or share with their audience what they experienced as a result of that mass sighting. The other thing, this is the take-home message. We have good evidence, and I've played this tape before of my conversation with a U.S. Air Force airman who was involved in the scramble of two F-15 fighters to pursue some of these objects that were being reported to, to the Air Force that Thursday night. And the other message is that U.S. military forces, we have pretty good reason to believe were elevated from defense condition five, which is the lowest condition in that system, the military forces around the world, I presume, were elevated from DEFCON 5 to DEFCON 3 in one step. Also, and I don't know if I've reported this on Paracast before, but we have reason to believe or suspicion to believe, surmise, that the injury that President William Jefferson Clinton sustained in Florida that night may have been related to the declaration of a DEFCON 3. After all, DEFCON 3, I don't know much about DEFCON statuses, but DEFCON 3, I'm told, is one step short of global warfare.
1: Okay, so are you saying then that he had this episode as a cover story?
7: One of two possibilities. Yeah, where they were hustling out of a room and he hit his head or something. (laughs) Well, it was his knee, And he allegedly allegedly sustained an injury that allegedly required him to be spirited back to the Washington, D.C. area so he could undergo surgery on damaged ligaments, I presume it was, uh, at the Bethesda Naval Hospital. Well, that's what the government says. That's what Bill Clinton, publicity manager, says. However, let's look at it from a different vantage point. The biggest UFO event in the history of ufology, that's what the Phoenix Lights were. People from all over Phoenix, from surrounding communities and neighboring states, were reporting gigantic objects that were not just streaking overhead, they were hovering overhead. Even Governor Fife Symington, finally, 10 years later, thanks to the nice work by Leslie Keene, admitted that he had one of these objects go over him. That's a pretty reliable witness by my measure.
1: You know, when it comes to a politician, though, I tend not to give them a lot of credibility, especially because he had a very checkered history. And speaking of Bill Clinton, Bill Clinton actually pardoned him for the crimes of which he was convicted. So, you know, we could say, yeah, he admitted it later and maybe he was telling the truth. But when it comes to politicians in Arizona, just be cautious, my friend. <laughs> with Gene no. and Chris and Peter Davenport, you're in. Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code.
18: Today, more than ever, it's imperative that you protect your digital privacy. EDEC Digital Forensics Signal Blocking Anti-Radiation Anti-Surveillance Faraday Bags Shield the contents of your phones, tablets, and key fobs from 4G, Wi-Fi, GPS, Bluetooth, NFC, and more. Find us at edecdf.com slash radio or call us now at 805-222-4584. That's 805-222-4584. Radio listeners get 20% off your order.
1: As Chris is weakening by the second here. We have Peter Davenport at the National UFO Reporting Center. Understand, I wasn't trying to denigrate the credibility of what you were saying. Just need to be realistic about the politicians.
2: Well, I think you were being justifiably cynical. I just would like to remind listeners that I happen to be in Casa Grande, just south about halfway, about a third of the way from Phoenix to Tucson, right off I-10, watching the uh, NCAA basketball Tournament when the object flew directly over us, and I went outside uh, after seeing the, you know, the news uh, break in uh, on during a commercial break, saying, you know, they, having the guys standing there with the with the flares or whatever it was uh, coming on over uh, over Phoenix, and I'm thinking to myself, oh my god! And I ran outside, and there were people out in the parking lot saying, oh, you missed it, <laughs> flew right over and. I, was, I could have run outside and been right underneath it, too, but I was too busy watching basketball.
7: <laughs> yeah. And interestingly, Chris, thanks for that story, but I would like all of that reduced to written form. would love to get a report from you. Even though you didn't see it, you were a witness to many, many other people who did.
2: Yeah, and uh, that's true. You're
7: one of the 19,999 who have not reported a UFO event. And would love to have that written down and uh, shared with us. Yeah, I happen to be working
2: that. in Casa Grande. I was, I was down from Colorado. And uh, yeah, I was supposed to actually the following night have dinner with uh, Tom King and Stephen Greer and Sherry Adamac and, and Bill Hamilton and others. And it, it just... Serendipity. I was just too focused on uh, on watching the. I think it was the Final Four, actually, uh, at that point, or it may have been the. I think ASU was uh, in the tournament that year, one of the Arizona schools, and uh, yeah, there were people outside just like scratching their heads, going, "The thing was huge." I, I just, you know, to this day, I, I kick myself. I could have, could have really had, you know, the sighting of a lifetime, and and just. Yeah. Oh well. <laughs> well
7: we have a very interesting report from a woman, her husband, their two children, and her mother I think mother or mother in law was in the back with the two children. They were driving to the northwest towards Phoenix from Tucson. And they had the object that I suspect went over Casa Grande go right over them, headed the other direction. They were below it for an estimated one to two minutes. And Stacy says, you've probably heard about this gal, maybe even had her on as a witness or a guest on the paracast, but she reports that it covered, completely covered the sky from almost from one horizon to the other as it went over them. She emphasizes how large it was. I use her hand-drawn illustration in my uh, slide presentations to let people know just how large that object was. But it went right down Interstate 10, headed southeast towards Tucson, and went over Casa Grande. They were in Casa Grande, too, when that object went over them.
1: We don't want Chris to spank himself for missing it. Now, I should point out, I was living in Scottsdale at the time. I was busy writing a book about using computers, and thus I had no concern about UFOs didn't consider it. Maybe he saw it in the paper the very next day. Any case. Now, after all these years, is there anything new that has come out about the case beyond what we've already covered?
7: Well, what we learned about the case on the night of the event, I would argue, gives us enough evidence to recognize just how dramatic an event it was. The event started in Henderson, Nevada, on the southeast corner of Las Vegas, of course, and those objects were seen by several witnesses to be flying to the southeast. So it was not just a Phoenix-related event. That was sort of a culmination, maybe even an early stage of the event. It was the event that uh, Chris just alluded to, the fact that one of these objects went down Interstate 10, went almost all the way, as far as I know, I don't know all of the details on the matter, but went all the way to Tucson because we had reports from people who were very close to Davis Monthan Air Force Base, which of course is just east of Tucson.
2: Right. I think it took a it made a turn to the west and uh, disappeared somewhere around Yuma, if I remember. Yeah, and I was. And it came all the way down the Prescott Valley. I mean, it came down from Ash Fork, all the way down Chino Valley, Prescott, Prescott Valley, Dewey. Um, it, it skirted right on the uh, eastern side of the Bradshaw Mountains um, over the Crown King area, and then it, it, it jogged over Lake Pleasant, and then went kind of uh, slightly west of um, of Anthem in that area.
7: Well, the one thing I would say, you're referring to it as if it was one object. We have reason to believe that there were, thanks to the very fine work by Jim De and doc- the late Dr. Michael Tanner, we have solid reason to believe that there were at least five objects. And one thing that I like to share with an audience that may have interest in the Phoenix Lights event, a lot of people have been reporting for the last 19 years, well, they were very large, maybe a mile in width. Now, I would invite any of our listeners who has experience with trigonometry to do the following calculation. The object that hovered above the Camelback Mountain area for an estimated five minutes, Sue Watson and her four children sat on her lawn marveling at this huge object that was above them for an estimated five minutes before it suddenly jumped and went down towards Sky Harbor Airport. The object was... We have reason to believe the F, one of the F-15s intercepted the object at 10,500 feet above ground level. Sue Watson has estimated that it subtended as it sat above her home, and they were sitting looking at it wondering what in God's name is this horrendous craft above their heads. She estimates that it subtended an arc of about 135 degrees. That's enough information to perform trigonometric calculation of its actual width.
2: Well, you're talking something miles in width.
7: Not less than 7.4 terrestrial statute miles in width.
1: You know, just on the surface, it almost sounds like the huge object seen in the movie Independence Day the previous year.
7: Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, frightening. Phoenix Absolutely. lights. We'll, we'll um, have to get into... That subject, more detail in the future, but there's so much to discuss with you, Peter. I don't want to focus just on this. We want to get back to fireballs for a moment. Chris, there's a long series of questions from Polterwurst about fireballs. You want to get to some of them now and then maybe a little bit more in our next segment? We have actually about 30 seconds for this segment, so let's just do the break and then we'll get ready to Polterwurst's questions. I mean, we can do a whole show on those. Because yeah. they are so detailed, but well, so we we
2: have addressed some of it, so
1: sure, so we can cover some of the rest and keep things going. We want to tell you we have Peter Davenport of the National UFO Reporting Center. The powercast is closing in on ten years on the air without interruption, and on next week's episode, we're going to honor that in some way. it's going to be a surprise we'll get some surprise guests, people you haven't heard in a while to cover 10 years of the Paracast. With Gene and Chris, you're in the Paracast.
8: Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today.
12: Attention citizens, this man has received national attention for accurately predicting every major financial trend, including the market crash of 2008. His name is Harry Dent. And in his newly released book, he is making even bigger and bolder predictions that have the potential to devastate the world economy and your personal wealth. You can get a free copy of Harry Dent's bestseller, The Demographic Cliff, containing never before published information by simply visiting www.harrydentresearch.com. Again, that's www.harrydentresearch.com.
4: Water is the single most important thing your body needs, so you want to be sure it's the best for you and your family. Since 2005, thousands have depended on Purified water. The Berkey guy provides the lowest priced filtration systems in every size. For incredibly delicious water now and in an emergency, get to goberkey.com or call 877 886 3653. 877 886 3653. Goberkey.com.
16: Biochemistry
5: determines your mood, memory, energy, and endurance. Your body's primary metabolic function is to make protein. One World Way is a unique, non-denatured protein. This enables your body to have virtually 100% utilization, whereas typical whey protein powders offer no more than 18% utilization of protein. One World Way also delivers life-giving frequencies to your cells. The net result for so many people is improved energy, mood, and elimination of pain from inflammation. This
6: technologically enhanced One Way has been really amazing for me. I'm 36 years old, and for the past several years, I've been struggling with lack of energy, drive, and stamina. And after just two weeks on this product, I'm feeling so much more energy. My yoga practice has deepened, and as a massage therapist, I'm able to see more clients than I've been able to in years. I've never felt results that quick with anything I've ever taken.
12: Call
5: 888-988-3325 or visit OneWorldWay.com. That's one Y.com owe
13: $10,000 or more to the IRS, get on board with the tax admiral. Don't pick on the IRS alone. I'll cut penalties and reduce your overall tax bill sometimes. I can even get it zeroed out completely. We're an A-rated company helping people clean up their mess with the IRS. If you owe $10,000 or more, then call the tax admiral.
3: Call 800-287-7180. Again, that's 800-287-7180. 800-287-7180.
21: You can join for free by going to ParanormalDate.com. And if you decide you like it and want to connect with people, use the code GEORGE for a substantial discount. Mark Rawlings, president of ParanormalDate.com, says so many people hunger to share their experiences about the paranormal, the unexplainable, or the afterlife, and so much more. And this is the source for them to meet and share that common interest. So sign up for free at ParanormalDate.com. ParanormalDate.com. And use the code GEORGE if you decide to connect with someone you like. Most of
20: you know that heart disease is the number one silent killer in the U.S. What if I told you for just $54.95 a month you could fight against heart disease naturally at Heart and Body Extract? We've been helping thousands of people get back to a healthier heart. Don't just take my word for it. Check out all of the success stories at HBExtract.com. Or to order, call 866 295 5305. That's 866 295 5305 hpextract.com. Don't risk it when you can take charge of it.
21: This is Micah Hanks of the Gray Alien Report, and you're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal
1: radio. With Gene and with Chris on the PowerCast, we're talking to Peter Davenport of the National UFO Reporting Center. In addition to the focus on the Phoenix Lights, we were also covering fireballs. In relation to that, Chris, there are some questions that you can ask from one of our regulars, Polterwurst.
2: Yeah, he's uh, one of our dedicated listeners in Germany and a real supporter of the San Luis Valley Camera Project, I might add. And um, he has a number of, of questions relating to the fireballs. And he's wondering about Foo Fighters. Um, he says that some descriptions seem to match yellow or reddish fireballs uh, during World War II. And he's wondering if there's a possible connection. Or could we be seeing something similar? And, uh, or do you think, he's asking, if you think that this is something else entirely?
7: Well, it's hard to say. Until we know what the fireballs are, And until we know what Foo Fighters are, we can't really compare them very effectively. But they certainly seem somewhat similar in the sense that in both instances, they appeared to the percipients, the witnesses, to be sort of semi transparent uh, sources of bright illumination. What they are is anybody's guess, but I would remake the point, the point I made earlier in the program. The reason they are so important to us, the reason they're of such great interest, is because we do not know what they are. So it would be inappropriate for me, I feel, based on, predicated on that statement that I've now made twice <laughs> at the risk of boring our listeners, is uh, it would be inappropriate for me to start making definitive statements as right. as of what they of are, what they aren't. I just don't know. Yeah. And I'm studying it because I don't know and reporting it to the American people, to anybody who bothers to listen to what I have to say.
2: Yeah, yeah we, we really can't make a determination. It's even hard to, to to determine whether we're just looking at some sort of plasma um ionization effect or whether we're actually looking at a physical uh craft as opposed to a ball of energy. Um I've had um, a red a small red fireball um within a hundred feet of me, traveling alongside my car over a um a fairly deep arroyo and it appeared to be about, I don't know, volleyball sized. um, or, would know. be probably about the closest between softball ball and, and volleyball sized. And yeah, uh, you know, I had a car full of you know my band was <laughs> traveling back from the studio when we saw this. Uh, and, and that definitely looked like some sort of uh, a ball of energy as opposed to some sort of structured craft. Um, here's another question from Polterwurst. Um, he's wondering, he says, there seems to be little footage of lights or light formations behaving anonymously. Um, I've mentioned before an example on YouTube of, of one daylight videotape that I find very compelling. But... Um, or he's wondering if if researchers or witnesses are keeping footage to themselves. And he, he says, for example, if, if I listen to witnesses from Hasdalen, there are many reports of intelligent maneuvers by or uh, some sort of interaction with lights, but not much in terms of video. And we do know they do have video cameras set up there. So he's wondering if, if people are keeping some of this uh, uh, data under wraps on, until they can come up with a definitive conclusion.
7: Hard for me to say if A person has seen one of these but hasn't reported it. I don't know about it. It has to be reported for me to be able to do anything with it. But uh, I'm mildly in disagreement with the claim that there's not good video. I've been posting it for years to our website. Video and photos. Just go to ufocenter.com and scroll down case after case after case after case over the last four years and look at the photographs and look at the video. It's almost as if I'm talking to a brick wall some days. (laughs) We're
2: into a vacuum. (laughs)
7: But I'm collecting the data and posting it free of charge. And I'm not sure anybody's paying attention. A few exceptions. Uh, Roger Marsh is following our data pretty closely. A few people in MUFON are. I'm sure the government, U.S. government is, with... uh, uh, attention riveted to the phenomenon and to the material I, I post, but I often wonder whether people are paying attention to Hollywood productions. I I get calls all the time from people say, Peter, uh, did you see such and such a broadcast? Well, first of all, I don't have a television by choice. Secondly, in some of those cases, I'm actually in the program. So uh, <laughs> that's certainly the case with regard to the Phoenix Lights from the early... Publicity about that yeah. event. So I would encourage the uh, individual to go to our website, ufocenter.com, and just start scrolling through posting after posting after posting. No doubt, dozens or hundreds of them since May of 2013. 2012 make that. Yeah.
2: Uh, Polterworth also is wondering about Allison Cruz. Are you familiar with her material? She seems to record light phenomenon regularly, but also thinks they "quote unquote" might be camouflaging as normal aircraft.
7: <laughs> well, I'd like to see her data. I'd like yeah. to see her report.
2: I think she's uh, up uh, from uh, the Pacific Northwest, isn't she, Gene, You
7: does
1: uh, that ring a bell? I, it doesn't.
7: I should remember the name and Allison Cruz K R U S beg forgiveness if I've met her yeah. and, uh, or seen her data and don't remember, but there are a lot of people who are making a lot of claims, well. and what distinguishes them from good hard science is evidence, and she may have good footage, but there are a lot of, a lot of videos I receive of lights. Most of them show lens flares from photographing a bright source of light, either the sun or the moon. That's the traditional type of photo I receive, is a photograph showing a lens flare or video or still photos of Sirius or Venus or uh, any of the other very bright objects in the nighttime sky
2: airplane headlights coming at you with uh, airplanes with landing lights on. I I saw that last night that had me going for about 20 seconds. And then (laughs) I realized, oh boy, he's coming into the Prescott airport and he's just taking a weird sort of jog. Yeah.
7: I had one of those experiences fairly recently too. Uh, Probably a KC-135 was approaching Fairchild Air Force Base here, not too far from where I'm located. And I was watching it for five minutes. It was a good long ways away and it had my attention, and then once it got closer, I could see the strobe lights, and I could see the red and green marker lights on the port and starboard wings. So, but it had my attention for several minutes before I realized what I was looking at.
2: Right. Well, and and that's uh, that's important to uh, to underscore that you really need to uh, to observe carefully and uh, from a dispassionate, objective uh, point of view, and and you know wait for it. To uh, it generally a, a a real sighting, and this is not you know this is just kind of a general rule of thumb. A real sighting is is much uh, it happens much more quickly. Venus hanging in the sky and slowly setting in the west should be fairly easy to determine, even for an untrained observer. Uh, so you know you have to be careful and and take notes. Um, I often. Uh, try to remind my conference audiences and in uh, my my book readers to to keep a dedicated calendar in your office with large squares on it and If anything anomalous happens uh, in your neighborhood, any strange weather, anything that appears unusual, just make a little note uh, to yourself on your calendar on the day in which it happens. Put the duration, the time, and a brief description of what it is and this will allow you later on to then refer back. And uh you know of course, report uh, any anomalous sightings to Peter, but um when you look back later on and you start to uh realize wow you know there's been some things going on, you have it there written down so that you can immediately uh your memory is jogged, and you can refer back to these uh to yeah. these you know head scratches that may seem inconsequential at the time yeah. so that's that's a real good technique that I found uh works very well yeah. um we have some other questions here before um before we go to break again. And this comes from
1: Raven's Fee. Let's do the break and then do the question, okay? Okay. All right, we have more questions from our listeners, some very, very compelling questions to really advance this discussion. We have Peter Davenport of the National UFO Reporting Center with Gene and Chris. You're in The Paracast.
8: You are listening to GCN.
12: Attention citizens, this man has received national attention for accurately predicting every major financial trend, including the market crash of 2008. His name is Harry Dent. And in his newly released book, he is making even bigger and bolder predictions that have the potential to devastate the world economy and your personal wealth. You can get a free copy of Harry Dent's bestseller, The Demographic Cliff, containing never-before-published information by simply visiting www.harrydentresearch.com. Again, that's www.harrydentresearch.com.
15: As if chlorine in our water weren't bad enough, now they're adding ammonia?
12: It's true, some municipalities are
22: now adding ammonia plus chlorine to your water supply. It's a disinfectant called chloramine. But with a trusted Big Berkey water filter, you can keep chloramine out of your water. New NSF EPA certified lab tests show EPA Berkey water filters remove chloramines, pharmaceuticals, BPA, pesticides, bacteria and viruses, all forms of fluoride and much more. Big Berkey water filters are the original and most trusted on the market. The gold standard in water purification. And our filters last for years at less than two cents per gallon. Big Berkey, the one that's powerful enough to purify stagnant pond water get your big berkey today call 1-877-99-BERKEY or click bigberkeywaterfilters.com that's 1-877-99-BERKEY big berkey water filters for the love of clean water
11: we all have heard about the benefits of fish oils but what about the presence of heavy metals PCBs dioxins furans, and other contaminants found in fatty tissues of fish. GCNteam.com recognizes this risk and offers IFOS certified tested omega-3 fatty acids. EPA, DHA insist on IFOS omega-3 fatty acid certification. Get the best at GCNteam.com or call 877-878-4203.
21: This is Kurt Sutherland, the author of UFO Mysteries, and you're listening to The Paracast.
1: We continue with your questions from the question bank at forum.theparacast.com. We have Peter Davenport of the National UFO Reporting Center with us. Chris?
2: Again, this comes from Ravensfee. She's a a longtime listener from uh, England. And she's wondering, how does the UFO field take advantage of the big data techniques and cheap computing power that are now available to turn UFO reports into meaningful information? In other words, data crunching. We've been hearing about Jacques Vallee wanting to put together the uh, the ultimate super database, and and from time to time you hear uh, people, you know, make noises like uh, there's some sort of uh, data crunching going on. Have you attempted to do that, Peter? Have you looked uh, uh, at some sort of spreadsheet where you can look at trends, uh, that sort of thing?
7: Well, I haven't devoted a great deal of time to that for several reasons. Number one, I'm not a computer guru. And I'm too busy taking reports and servicing calls over the hotline and so on and so forth to have time for that. But the other problem is I question whether it's of any use at all. I get requests, probably half a dozen requests every week. People want the database. Well, let me say right out of the blocks that I've spent 22 years and a great deal of my personal fortune collecting 113,000 reports from the public. I'm not anxious just to sign it off to anybody who walks through the door or gives me a call and expresses a desire to have the database, obviously. But the other thing is, I know the limitations of the data that are in the database. People find it very difficult, one, as we've discussed already, to submit a report at all. Number two, though, is the question of how accurate they are. People are constantly getting the date wrong, the time wrong, getting facts all screwed up. and
2: Garbage in, garbage out.
7: Garbage in, garbage out. And people who want to take all of those reports and process them is exactly that. And that's the term I usually use in responding to these requests, is it's really a waste of time. What What is the purpose of it? And I can see none, particularly. People say, well, I want to plot where the sighting occurred and will track sightings. Well, if you're getting only one out of 20,000 reports, you really don't have a sufficiently large sample of UFO sightings in general to be able to do anything of a particular interest or significance. So, probably the greatest thing we've done with technology is set up databases and set up online report forms so people shortly after they've seen a UFO can report it while they still remember the facts. So that's probably the greatest thing that the uh, internet has done for us is allow people to submit written reports very quickly in a timely fashion. Uh, Also, of course, we've been using the telephone for a long time, but oral reports over the telephone are almost of no use whatsoever, I find. And the hardest thing, the hardest aspect of my job as director of the National UFO Reporting Center is trying to get people to write down the details of their sighting. They want to talk and talk and talk. They'll take an hour of your time talking about their sighting. But when I say, would you please take 5 or 10 or 15 minutes to write all these facts down, that's when you hit the brick wall. I've never seen so many excuses in all my life as to why a person cannot write down the facts that they want to take an hour to tell you over the telephone. So uh, I'm digressing here a little bit, but the Internet is probably the greatest boon to the UFO field. One of the things I would like to address, a lot of people are saying, well, we should use all these cell telephones that are out there for photographing objects and reporting them and communicating about a given sighting, well, I've received a lot of those reports uh, from cell telephone owners, and more often than not, the quality of those reports is not very good. They don't take the time to craft a written statement with all of the details, where they were, what the time and date were, what direction they were looking, the angle of elevation, how big the object appeared to be relative to a star, a planet, or a full moon in the sky. That's what we need is the carefully prepared report, not the hastily submitted report. So technology may be actually becoming a hindrance to the quality of UFO reports.
2: Well, here's a question from uh, William Stratham. And uh, it involves trace uh, case uh, incidents in recent years. As an aside, it seems to me, based on my limited uh, finger on the pulse of of sighting events, that we're seeing less and less landings. And that uh, objects are tending to be reported, I think, uh, less, uh, we have less reports of objects in close proximity to witnesses, they seem to be uh, staying further away or something. Is there truth to that? And and um, no. have we had any real good quality landing uh, in trace cases recently?
7: Well, I just covered one uh, last week on a late night radio talk show about a gentleman in Colorado Springs who alleges to have had some kind of event occur in his bedroom where he and his wife and their pet dog were sleeping. My suspicion is that those cases are taking place but it's very difficult as i've reported already to get people to report these oftentimes they're so confused and flabbergasted by what they've experienced that uh they just don't report them but there are uh a lot of cases that i've covered and presented on radio of sightings of objects that appeared to have been very close to the witness i can think of a whole bunch of them One in particular comes from uh, Oklahoma, northern Oklahoma. A woman was in a fog bank driving on an interstate, and suddenly the fog surrounding her turned orange. And just about that time, she drove out of the, the cloud of fog, and here are a number of orange objects hovering directly above the interstate ahead of her. And her illustration that she provided... To our center is posted on our homepage. But I think those events are taking place. It's just that it's very difficult to get people to sit down and say, yep, I'm going to report this one to an authority that can use it and post it and let the world know about it.
1: That leads me to think here that the agencies, the private agencies that are set up to collect UFO information, maybe aren't getting the word out. I kind of thought that MUFON would stand some success with that TV show, but it doesn't seem to be working that
23: way.
7: Yeah. Well, the problem is people have to be motivated, and trying to motivate people is one of the most difficult jobs that any human being has. People have to, first of all, recognize that they've seen something that is unusual and deserves reporting. Then they have to be sufficiently motivated to find an organization like the National UFO Reporting Center or MUFON where they can report it. And then they have to sit down and write it out and spell check it and copy and paste it into the form. This amount of work is a hurdle, an insurmountable barrier for many
1: people. Also, the fact is that you don't see as much coverage of UFO cases in the media. And we don't have print media like we used to have. It's all online, so it's ephemeral. It's not something where you get the daily newspaper, and it sits there and it says UFO scene in the next town over. And that's something you could refer to. But if you see a website with that information, well, you go to the next site and maybe you don't get back to it. The permanence of news is history.
7: Yeah, that's right. The nature of the news industry has changed dramatically in the last quarter century. And I'm not sure it benefits accurate, meaningful reporting of the UFO phenomenon. As you point out, and I think it's a good observation, is news today is ephemeral. You can see a report one minute, and you try to go back to it ten minutes later, and it's gone.
1: And And this happens with my wife all the time. She sees something on TV on one of the cable news networks, and she says, look that up. And maybe I'll even go to the site that organization runs. And the site will be disorganized. It won't be up to date. The same people who are updating the news on the TV show are not necessarily updating the site. And when they do, it's buried away somewhere that you have to find it. And again, there's no printed copy. We seem to think that's important. There's so much information out there. But if you have the printed copy sitting there the morning fish wrapper doesn't exist anymore, like it used to. And if it does, it's thinner. There's less coverage. The staff is smaller because there's not enough advertising. So therefore, there's only so much content they could print affordably. We got a lot more to cover as we continue with Peter Davenport of the National UFO Reporting Center with Jean and Chris. You're in the Paracast. As you know, neighbors, web hosting can be pretty cheap, but not all hosting is the same. DreamHost wins best of awards year after year. You get unlimited disk space, unlimited bandwidth, and even the low-cost plans put your sites on high-performance SSDs. Want to know more about what DreamHost has to offer? Go to technightowl.com host. Once again, that's technightowl.com host.
0: Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg.
1: With Gene and Chris in the Paracast, we have Peter Davenport of the National UFO Reporting Center. And we've had some questions about databases. So let's look at that briefly here. So we have huge amounts of data that you have collected over the years, MUFON, all this information. Are there efforts to put everything in one big place? I mean, with computer systems nowadays and advanced apps, it should be easy to stick this all in one location. What about it? Yeah.
7: Well, on the face of it, that's a reasonable uh, proposal. But I invite you to consider how it looks from the vantage point of a person like me, who spent twenty two years and a great deal of money collecting over a hundred about a hundred and twelve thousand cases or one hundred and thirteen thousand cases now, And somebody comes along and says, uh, we'd like your database for no compensation, no remuneration, uh, no thanks, and so on and so forth. And it's the human factor that's involved in that, plus from a technical standpoint, from a scientific standpoint, uh, all of those reports have been collected by different systems, and that creates a problem from the standpoint of continuity or consistency. So. Yeah, everybody would like access to my database. They they want me to just send a copy of it to them over the internet, and I'm not prepared to do that, and I doubt that MUFON would do that
1: as well. Well, we know MUFON won't do it, but the problem here is we have separate actors here collecting information with their own information database, and wouldn't there be a better chance of figuring out what's going on if we could pool our resources somehow? I understand the limitations. I understand, yep. look, you've spent your own money on this project. You just don't want to give away your work. But for the greater good, how do we get it all together and figure out what's going on?
7: Well, the problem is, the problem we alluded to earlier, and that is trying to analyze this data through the use of computers. Again, the, the big hurdles are the accuracy of the data in the first place. And number two is the lack of consistency as to how it has been collected. We all have different questionnaires. On the surface of it, on the face of it, it's a reasonable proposal. It's when you get into the actual machinations of uh, doing it that I think you quickly see that there's very little to be gained by computer analysis of UFO reports because they're so heterogeneous. And the big issue, again, is the issue of date and time. Most people, again, if you if it's been more than a day or two since their sighting, don't remember the date. And so trying to analyze all this data when the data is not accurate in the first place, the term, again, garbage in, garbage out, comes to mind. I'm not sure there's a great deal to be gained by it.
1: So what do we do with it? How do we take all this stuff that's been accumulated and try to get some answers? Because right now, as far as I'm concerned, we really don't have answers. We just have loads and loads of mysteries.
7: I answered that question over 22 years ago with my proposal to use passive radar to detect UFOs.
1: I want to get into that, but go ahead.
7: This, exactly what you said, occurred to me 22 years ago, just a few months after I'd taken over the National UFO Reporting Center, I actually panicked, was in a panicked state about January of 1995. I took over the hotline in August of 94. And when I took it over, I really didn't know what I was doing to myself and to my outlook on what reality may be, because I had no idea how much work it was going to be. When I accepted responsibility for the hotline from Bob Gribble, its founder. I assumed that I might be taking one or two or maybe three calls per week. Not very many at all. Easily managed. Before I knew it, I was taking one, two, or three dozen calls per day. So I was taking about two orders of magnitude more information than I assumed would be the case. In January of 1995, in fact, I can pin it down. It was the Friday before Martin Luther King weekend. I was asking myself... How could we analyze the UFO phenomenon more efficiently and using technology rather than weak eyewitness reports and fuzzy photographs? And that is when it hit me that we could use what is known as passive radar, a phenomenon that militaries have been working on for decades, to remotely detect the presence of a UFO and not only detect its presence that track the UFO, calculate its altitude, its velocity, maybe to a degree, its size. And I wrote a paper for the MUFON Journal on the use of uh, passive radar. I called it Meteor Communications Radar or Meteor Detection Radar. At the time, I really didn't know what it was called in the industry. And I published an article in the MUFON Journal And it was about three months before I even received a comment about the article. Here I have solved the problem of detecting UFOs not using eyewitnesses, not using photographs. And it didn't create a stir or a ripple in all of ufology, apparently. And I've been talking about this technology, and I'll describe it here in a minute if you like, Sure. for... 22 years, been trying to raise the funds to build a prototype. Prototypes already exist for other applications, for detecting aircraft, commercial aircraft, for detecting the trails, the ionized trails behind meteors. And I have had about zero success in generating interest, even in MUFON. Uh, July of 2008, during the MUFON symposium, I had a telephone link up with the director, the international director, and a bunch of state directors to describe the technology once again to move on and to offer some kind of collaboration, and it came to naught. But it turns out that as you and I are talking on this program, this program is being radiated out, I presume, off of an antenna. And that signal, that electromagnetic signal, is being radiated in all directions.
1: It's more complicated than that. Really more complicated than that, Peter. The actual broadcast center sends it by satellite. It's picked up by the local stations. sure, And then they broadcast them to the listeners. But we also have the show online. So anyone online with access to iTunes or... Tune in, or goes to theparacast.com, dot com. Can download the episode. Yeah, that's so I, simple.
7: I accept that the actual administration of the program is much more complicated than I understand at this moment. However, ultimately, somewhere, sometime, the program or any other program doesn't matter whether it's this one or a commercial radio uh, station or television station is broadcasting a signal off an
1: antenna exactly that's about two dozen stations around the u.s
7: for your program but there are hundreds or thousands of radio or television stations across the united states that we could use they broadcast a signal it's radiated out in the form of radio or television waves they're all the same of course And that electromagnetic radiation radiates in all directions, goes out in space. If, however, there's something up above that radio station that reflects radio waves, then you can build an array of antennas that will receive the reflected signal. That's what we're looking for is the reflection of the radiated signal.
1: We're assuming then that... UFOs, whatever they might be, and we have to break for a few moments shortly, we're assuming then that they will reflect something, not just light, that we could see them, but they will reflect something that we can detect at least directly or indirectly and therefore know of their presence. Am I getting it right? Don't answer now. Just hold on for a second.
7: We'll pick it up after the break.
1: We'll talk about passive radar and UFO detection systems. And I will bring up others who are trying to do some kind of UFO detection program, such as UFO data. I'm going to ask you about that after we get to cover yours. With Peter Davenport of the National UFO Reporting Center, you're on with Gene and Chris. You're in The Paracast. Yeah. If you're fascinated by UFOs, ancient aliens, archaeological mysteries, ghost hunting, Atlantis, and any other paranormal topic as we are, be sure to check out apmagazine.info each month. Since 1985, it has presented the latest research by top researchers like Andrew Collins, Brad Steiger, and many others, and contains interviews with such leading personalities as Jacques Vallée. Check, click on one of their banners and check out apmagazine.info.
4: That's almost twice the coverage for less than half of what he had paid. If SelectQuote hasn't shopped for your life insurance, you're probably paying too much.
16: For your free quote, call 1-800-403-4885. That's 1-800-403-4885. 1-800-403-4885. Or go to SelectQuote.com. We shop. You save. Get full details in the example policy at slowquote.com slash commercials. Your price can vary depending on your health, issuing company, and other factors. Not available in all states
23: Hello, my name is Don Wiskin from HeartDrop.com, the distributors of Extendivite, the number one heart drop that people have been raving about for years. Every February for the last 16 years, HeartDrop.com has had a heart month sale to help you stay heart healthy. For only $115 plus shipping and handling, you can get a four-month supply of Extendivite in either liquid or capsule form to help you get started on your path to better health. Now is the time to stock up. Order what you need. Stay heart-healthy all year with the number one heart drop, Extendivite. To order your Extendivite, call 1-877-928-8822. That's 1-877-928-8822. Or visit our website, heartdrop.com. Extend
2: your life
13: with Extendovite
23: Owe $10,000 or more
13: to the IRS? Get on board with the tax admiral. Don't pick on the IRS alone. I'll cut penalties and reduce your overall tax bill. Sometimes I can even get it zeroed out completely. We're an A rated company helping people clean up their mess with the IRS. If you owe $10,000 or more, then call the tax admiral. Call 800 287
3: 7180. Again, that's 800 287 7180. 800 287 7180.
0: We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com.
1: So on the Paracast with Gene and Chris, we have Peter Davenport of the National UFO Reporting Center. Question on the table with a passive detection system we have to assume then, for the sake of argument, that UFOs are reflecting something we can detect in that way.
7: Yeah. Well, that's a reasonable assumption because we know from radar visual cases that some, at least some, UFOs reflect radio waves, reflect radar signals. No doubt about that whatsoever. So based on that, we know that we can detect some UFOs using a passive radar system. Let me describe one as an example for our listeners so they can understand what I'm proposing here. I live about 200 miles east of Seattle, and there's a range of mountains, the Cascade Mountains, between me and Seattle. So if I tune a radio to one of the radio or television stations in Seattle, let's use a radio station, under virtually all circumstances, I am unable to tune that radio to be able to hear that transmitted signal. One, because of the distance, and number two, because there are mountains between me and the radio transmitter or radio antenna that prevent that signal from reaching the antenna on my receiver here 200 miles east of Seattle. However, if something flies over the Cascade Mountains, an airplane, a flock of migratory birds, a metalized balloon, or something along those lines, it is in line of sight of not only the radio antenna, the radio transmitter antenna, but my and receiver antennas as well, and it will reflect that transmitted signal, so suddenly my antenna's are picking up the signal from 200 miles away. I think this is pretty straightforward, nothing complicated about this. Then what you can do, if you have an array of antennas that allow you to triangulate on the source of that reflected signal, you can track it, you can measure its location 10 or 100 times a second, and you can calculate its velocity, you can calculate its location, you can calculate to a degree its size, depending on the frequency of the transmitted and reflected signals, you can essentially detect something. Now, again, that something could be an airliner. It could be a satellite up outside the Earth's atmosphere. It could be a flock of migratory birds or any number of things reflect signals. This is why weather radar is very useful because... Rain clouds and tornadoes and all sorts of meteorological phenomena reflect radar signals. But then you can start to discriminate. If it's moving at 500 knots and it's at 30,000 feet, it's probably an airliner. If it's at, say, 5,000 feet and it's moving at 45 miles an hour, it's probably a flock of geese. However, if it's at 50 miles above the surface of the planet, and it's doing 20,000 kilometers a second, and it does a right-angle turn, it's probably not a Canadian goose. So that is what I've proposed. I've been talking about this phenomenon and technology for 22 years, and have had essentially no interest in it it absolutely flabbergasts and frustrates me that nobody seems to be paying attention. They Most people want to continue talking about bad UFO reports and fuzzy photographs rather than doing the hard work to have a UFO detection system that would allow a person to sit in front of his computer screen and watch for actual UFOs flying in that person's proximity, say within a thousand miles or so.
1: You're aware of the UFO data project from Mark Rodiger and Leslie Kane and sure. several others? Yeah. So how do you feel your project might coordinate with theirs? If we're gonna do this, we're gonna do it somehow.
7: Well, they should be aware of my technology and I'm probably remiss in not having contacted them to make sure that they're aware of my proposal. PhD scientists have contacted me and said, whoa, that's a better mousetrap, Peter. It will work. I've worked on passive radar systems before. Why they haven't included me in that community of advocates for detecting UFOs, I don't know. But again, it may be I who has been remiss in not contacting them. I've been aware of their project for several months now. I just haven't sent them. uh, communication to apprise them of my technology, but they should be aware of it. I've been talking about it for 22 years. In 2004, I lectured on the technology. I devoted my whole presentation before the MUFON symposium in Denver, July of 2004, to this subject. If they're not aware of the technology that I've proposed, they may not be paying too close attention to the ufo field
1: why assume anything why don't you and this is your assignment should you decide to accept it contact them tell them what you have give them a couple of references maybe they could look it up and see if there's a way to coordinate efforts because right now nothing's happening you made this proposal years ago it's not being picked up and they're making a proposal for which they'd like donations to set up ufo detection systems now, obviously, theirs doesn't read to me like passive radar, but I'm not an engineer. It doesn't matter. Someone's trying to do something. Don't you think we all have to work together?
7: I've already proposed it to MUFON. I think several of those people are probably uh, members of MUFON. They get the MUFON Journal. I've published two articles on the subject for MUFON, but your point is well taken. And as I prefaced by this uh, at this remark, I'm probably remiss in not having communicated with them. Right now, I'm in overwhelmed condition. I work two shifts a day, seven days a week for no pay to process the flow of reports that are coming to me and to get them posted so people can can uh, share in them.
1: Yes, and, but right now, and I'm gonna be the devil's advocate here, all those reports aren't doing anything for anyone. It's just a source of information. Well, You've got I disagree. Well, all I'm right, sure. but what is being done to take that information and bring us to some answers? Just having a hundred thousand sightings, where's that taking us?
7: Well, for one thing, you haven't talked to the people who call the hotline and say Boy, you don't know how relieved I am, Mr. Davenport, for me to be able to read a report in which a person describes something very similar to what I just saw 10 minutes ago.
1: Okay, so we're basically making people feel good about their sightings. Oh, I'm not alone. All these people have reported things. Here's all the data. That's fine. So we make people feel better than not alone in having experiences of this nature. But at this point, from what you're telling me... This data is very imperfect, very incomplete because we can't get everything together because of the imprecision of human observation. The only way to get answers, more than likely, is to have some way to catch UFOs in the act unless they do something overt to make their existence known in a way they can't be denied and we find out what no. they are. Let's, I'm going to ask you to have that answer and hold on for just a second. Peter Davenport of the National UFO Reporting Center is joining us. With Gene and Chris, you're in The Paracast.
8: Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today.
12: Attention, citizens. This man has received national attention for accurately predicting every major financial trend, including the market crash of 2008. His name is Harry Dent. And in his newly released book, he is making even bigger and bolder predictions that have the potential to devastate the world economy and your personal wealth. You can get a free copy of Harry Dent's bestseller, The Demographic Cliff, containing never-before-published information by simply visiting www.harrydentresearch.com. Again, that's www.harrydentresearch.com.
6: It's about time something new came along for better selling and buying online. And I found it. What
12: now, Marge?
6: It's buy, sell, makeoffer.com. Never heard of it. It's a brand new company. That's why you've never heard of it. It's the newest and best way to sell any products online. I did all the research. Sell my car? Yes. Our home? Yep. My golf bag? Your golf clubs. All of them. How
19: about your purse collection hoard? Hey,
6: now. You
19: said any product. Right. I did. Hmm.
6: We get thirty days free. Really? Packages starting from only seven ninety five. And buy sell make offer dot com will never charge item fees ever. Mm. Never. And this is cool. Listen to this. You can even use Skype or video to show your items. That's cool. Yes. All we have to do is go to the website, sign up, and then load our stuff to sell. I love this site.
19: Buy sell make offer dot com.
6: Buy sell make dot com. You got it.
19: Buy sell make offer dot com. Buy
6: sell. Makeoffer.com. Better selling, better buying.
3: This is a health alert from the Pain Relief Hotline. If you, a family member, or a loved one suffers from knee, back, shoulder, or ankle pain and have Medicare as your primary insurance, we've got great news. You don't have to suffer any longer. You can immediately qualify for a pain relieving brace at little or no cost to you by calling our 24-7 Pain Relief Hotline at 866-389-0620. Delivery is free and all paperwork is handled for you. If you are on Medicare and have knee, back, shoulder, or ankle pain, don't wait. You can qualify to immediately receive a pain-relieving brace at little or no cost by calling our 24-7 pain hotline now at 866-389-0620. Our representatives are standing by 24-7 to take your call and rush you your pain-relieving brace at little or no cost to you. Shipping is free and all paperwork is handled for you. Just call 866-389-0620. That's 866-389-0620. Again, 866-389-0620.
5: This is Micah Hanks
21: of the Grayling Report, and you're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio.
1: I raise the devil's advocate question here. Peter Davenport, the National UFO Reporting Center. I know you have a response.
7: Yeah, of course I do. (laughs) Your question is a good one, and I have a good answer for you. We can do everything you advocate if we have a staff and a budget. Do you have a staff and budget for us?
1: I don't have a staff and budget for me.
7: I'm in the same condition, Gene. You've just addressed, you've gone to the heart of the issue. Everything I've done over the last 22 years at the National UFO Reporting Center, almost everything has been funded almost exclusively by me, with the exception of a few honoraria, a few grants from generous organizations, and so on. I've been fundraising continuously or attempting to raise funds for 22 years. The only problem with that is I've been unsuccessful in having done so. I've been to four billionaires, I've been to a number of organizations, I've been to a number of universities requesting some kind of support, whatever they want, even if it's just setting up a section in their university library dedicated to UFOs. I've had zero success. I've been to Bigelow, I've been to Gates, I've been to Allen, I've been to Rockefeller, and I don't know what these people are thinking. They profess interest in UFOs. However, they don't seem to be willing to make even a small amount of money available that would allow us to vastly, vastly increase our capability and our scope of activities. So your question is a good one, and it's very readily stated and easily stated my response is if you think that we could be doing more provide me with the resource that will allow me to do it
1: but you won't give it off to a scientific organization who contacted you and said look we don't have a lot of money but we've got eager beavers who are willing to go through your data and try to find something would you give it to them
7: well would you give your archives to the next person who contacts you and wants control of them? Archives well, the archives
1: are freely available to download.
7: And all of my data is available on the website for people to share in. But I would like to know the details of how the data will be used, how it will be protected, how the identities of the people who submitted the data will be protected so it's they're not featured in a front-page article in a major newspaper. That's the special responsibility I have. MUFON has the same responsibility, but your point is a good one, but I, again, invite you to consider the human factor involved. People, after they've spent 22 years of their lives, in my case, and a great deal of their treasury to collect the data, are not willing to just give it away willy-nilly to the first person who saunters by and says, I want that database.
1: I understand Um, they have to do a lot of legwork and make steps to protect the people. But when you come to an organization like MUFON that has hundreds, thousands of people who are paid members, field investigators, they're not doing a thing with their data. Forget about you. You're one lone actor. MUFON is doing nothing that I could see. What is MUFON doing to put that together and figure out what's going on? What do they know about UFOs that they didn't know in 1969?
7: I think MUFON is doing a great job with informing the public of what's going on. The first step in any scientific process or investigation is first to collect data. Now, how much we can do with that data and how convincing it may be to some people, I cannot predict, but they're doing exactly what any scientist should be doing, and that is assessing what's going on out there. If you have a a theory that all fish are golden trout, the first thing you have to do is go in to a lake or any body of water and start fishing and capturing fish to test your theory. You quickly discover that not all fish are golden trout. There are other types of fishes, as an example. I cite that as a fisheries biologist.
1: Uh, Okay, uh, but MUFON has been around 47 years with this data, all right? And there's still a basic operating theory that they work under that's implicit, which is that UFOs are probably visitors from other planets. But what have they done to be able to advance this theory to provide more information and evidence? I don't see it being there. I see they're collecting information. They're publicizing it. They're holding conferences with plus or minus with the quality of guests. I don't think they're going anywhere at all. And that's my criticism of them. After 47 years, show me something.
7: Well, they're limited by budget, as am I. And I've just described what we could do to do precisely what you've just described. Take it to a new level. Passive radar does that. It takes the eyewitness out of the link of uh, data. It puts photographs on the shelf. Most photos of UFOs are not very good. In fact, I estimate that only about one out of a thousand photographs sent to the National UFO Reporting Center is of any value or use or interest at all. But passive radar will do exactly what you say.
1: Let me move on. I'm being a devil's advocate here, but understand where I'm going. We're trying to figure things out. So theoretically, then, we set up passive radar tomorrow. Someone says, "Okay, Peter, here's a million dollars, whatever it takes. You could pretty much take all your data that you've accumulated so far and stick it in the drawer and start all over again because that's what you have to do. You're setting up a program to detect UFO activity and figure out what's going on. But that doesn't reference what's already there. It's starting something new from scratch.
7: Yeah, it is. It's a new... You've just proposed. How do we take it to a new level? That's going to a new new domain, Gene. That's exactly what I want to do.
1: So therefore... Graduate, therefore
7: graduate from collecting eyewitness reports to having a radar detection system that will tell us when a UFO is in, the, in proximity of the detection system and what its size is, what its velocity is. That's exactly what I want to do. I want to take it to a new level. It may make all the data we've collected obsolete, but that would be fine with me.
1: Okay, now, if we're detecting the activity, will we have things like cameras Movie cameras, other sensors to get the visual information?
7: Yeah. I wrote an article on precisely that question. All you have to do is slave the passive radar system to a synotheodolite, that is, a movie camera that is on a gimbaled tripod, and be able to point the camera in the direction of the object, and you stand a chance of capturing it on film. But again... Photographs are not terribly convincing. Photographs directed or taken by a passive radar system would be a step in the right direction. But I've proposed what I feel is the solution to the question mark about UFOs. Are they real or are they not? Clearly they are from my vantage point. Now I want to prove it, and I've proposed the use of technology that could satisfy that question. And I'm not sure many people are paying attention.
1: Now, I assume a system like this would be designed to consider possible false positives.
7: Well, I don't understand. Yeah, there would be many false positives. Uh, you would detect airliners. You would detect satellites. You would detect uh, migratory birds. And there are two stages in radar. One is the the first stage is detection. The second stage is Discrimination. What have you detected? Is it of any interest to the system? And that's what's fairly, is very easily done with computers and modern electronics. It's only been the last 10, at most 20 years, that private citizens have had access to the kind of computer power you need to be able to do what I've advocated. There are a number of passive radar systems in use today. In fact, uh, the the British uh, air traffic control system is proposing going to a passive radar system because it's much more reliable and much more accurate than the active radar systems when they generate a beam and send it out into, uh, out to detect uh, targets in the vicinity of the transmitter.
1: Let's do our break. And we'll come back for the final segment with Peter Davenport of the National UFO Reporting Center. With Gene and Chris, you're in the Paracast.
8: Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today.
18: Today, more than ever, it's imperative that you protect your digital privacy. EDEC Digital Forensics Signal Blocking Anti-Radiation Anti-Surveillance Faraday Bags Shield the contents of your phones, tablets, and key fobs from 4G, Wi-Fi, GPS, Bluetooth, NFC, and more. Find us at EDECDF.com slash radio or call us now at 805-222-4584. That's 805-222-4584. Radio listeners get 20% off your order.
21: You can join for free by going to ParanormalDate.com. And if you decide you like it and want to connect with people, use the code George for a substantial discount. Mark Rawlings, president of ParanormalDate.com, says so many people hunger to share their experiences about the paranormal, the unexplainable, or the afterlife, and so much more, and this is the source for them to meet and share that common interest. So sign up for free at ParanormalDate.com, ParanormalDate.com, and use the code GEORGE if you decide to connect with someone you like. My dad was 59 when he collapsed from a heart attack late last year. Just this past August was when we spread his ashes on the St. Croix River. I love my dad. But boy, was he stubborn. He hadn't been to the doctor in over 25 years. His excuse? He simply couldn't afford it. He wasn't a rich man by any means. At less than $107 per month, LibertyOnCall.org would have been the perfect alternative for my father. Don't wait. Go to LibertyOnCall.org right now. For not just your sake, but for the sake of your loved ones. Again, that's LibertyOnCall.org.
6: This is Marie D. Jones, the author of this book is from the future. And you are listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio.
1: We have Peter Davenport, the National UFO Reporting Center. We're talking about his proposal for a passive radar UFO detection system, some way to catch them in the act. And just to put this in the overview before we go on to some final questions, as our listeners know, Chris O'Brien has the San Luis Valley Camera Project setting up a network of cameras to record unusual activity. We have the UFO Data Project from Mark Roediger, Leslie Kane, and others. They're trying to set up their project. And maybe through all this, something can be done. But I understand your frustration here. You have a great idea to do something 22 years ago. The technology has reached a point now where it becomes far more affordable, but when you try to generate interest, it's crickets. Let's just leave it be there for those who want to know. We'll have our listeners contact you, and I'll ask that in a moment. Let's look at UFOs and theories and events very quickly before we let you go. Now, obviously, one very, very controversial aspect of the UFO phenomenon is abductions, and last week we featured Whitley Strieber, and we've had other discussions with Kathleen Martin and others about abductions. Now, if abductions are real, wouldn't that be a first-hand way of getting a hold of some evidence, but all we really have, for the most part, are just a bunch of claims. What do you think? What
7: do you define as evidence?
1: Some people claim to have alien implants or have other possible physical interactions with aliens. So yep. how well, do we evaluate claims of this sort?
7: okay? Let's start with Travis Walton. In my opinion, the Travis Walton case competes with the Phoenix Lights event as being the most dramatic, well-documented case in the history of ufology. He was hit with a beam of light that rendered him unconscious, possibly even dead, in front of six witnesses. That's pretty good evidence. The only thing I would wish for is that one of those six witnesses in the International Harvester truck had had a camera or a movie camera. I regret that they didn't get hard evidence. The other case I would cite, and I've talked about it until I'm blue in the face, and very few people are aware of it, is the death of Todd Seas. It's an event that occurred back in 2002. It was Sunday, August 4th, 2002. People can read the reports on our website. A man went up on a mountain in south-central Pennsylvania on an all-terrain vehicle, ATV. The next thing anybody knew, at least four witnesses were watching a man's body being levitated off the top of the mountain, where Todd Seas was known to have gone, into a saucer, a saucer-shaped, metallic-looking craft hovering above the top of that mountain. The man's body, clad only in undergarments, was taken, allegedly taken, into the craft. Well, that's the prelude to a long series of events that involved a manhunt involving 200 or 250 people looking for him. And 40 hours after the sighting, reported by several people, his remains were found suspended in a tree or heavy underbrush. Uh, Richard Dolan and I and Travis Walton are all familiar with this case. We've looked into it, so we have evidence—very good evidence—that a man possibly was taken up into a saucer and his grossly mutilated remains were found 40 hours later. I don't know what uh, more strong, what stronger evidence a person would need with regard to the abduction phenomenon and in this case tragically involved not only an abduction but an apparent death and mutilation. Are you familiar with the case?
1: I've heard about possible human mutilations, yes.
7: Well, the Todd sees case, it's a very, very dramatic case. I've talked to the coroner who did the autopsy. He admitted that the autopsy was done. It was a very strange case. We have witnesses that uh testified to the fact that the man was being apparently the very man whose remains were later found was being taken up into a saucer-shaped craft so i cite this case chris just to point out that we do have good cases and we've published them posted them shared them on radio and television programs and most people still are not aware of them
1: I think part of the problem we're dealing with here is that most people. I don't say PowerCast listeners because we have a really dedicated, brilliant group of people who listen to the show. And we have well over a hundred thousand listeners overall around the world. I don't even know the numbers because the show just goes far and wide everywhere. But most people who hear about UFOs, they see the reality shows. They think it's all a bunch of entertainment. It's Mm X-Files. That's it. It's just X-Files. It's nothing real. And we could watch that show, scroll past the commercials if we want, get on with our business of trying to survive in the 2016 economy. We don't want to get into all the world craziness that's going on right now. Mm -hmm. But I could see why people are, as a practical matter, interested in UFOs as a curiosity, as a source of entertainment. But very, very few people are interested in UFOs to go beyond that. I mean, you have like the International UFO Congress near Phoenix is going to be happening this weekend. If they get a thousand people, it's going to be a miracle. A lot of people. If you go to a Comic-Con where you can see the stars of the next Star Wars movie or Star Trek or Supergirl or Flash or Arrow, they'll get 30,000 people, 50,000. It's amazing. Comic-Con, you get plenty of people, but if we're dealing with something that may be real, people being kidnapped by something, killed by something, strange objects in the sky from who knows where, from whatever origin, very, very few people are dedicated enough to explore what's happening. And quite often when they do, it's because they've had the experience. They've seen something or a friend has seen something. They have a point where... They are dedicated enough to want to follow it through. Otherwise, the rest of us just don't care. We only have a minute left. you want to give a response, Peter?
7: Yeah, briefly, I agree with you. It's a tragedy that humans in today's world are more predisposed to believe and consume imaginary events rather than pay attention to reality and to objectively collected information. It's the bane of my existence trying to call to the attention of the American people and other humans around the world that we appear to be being visited on a routine basis by these things we call UFOs. And uh, it bothers me that people get most of their UFO information from the television. My recommendation to people who want information about UFOs is to, the first step is cut the plug off your television cord. That's the first step and then start reading, not nattering and chit-chatting about the UFO phenomenon or consuming movies or programs, but read reports and consider them and ruminate on them. That's the best thing to do, in my opinion.
1: Where can they find more information about what you do?
7: They can just go to the website. It's been there for almost 20 years, ufocenter.com, com. And if they've ever at any time in their life, whether it be eight minutes ago or eight decades ago, seen a UFO, I would encourage them to take a few minutes to record the event. That means writing it down and submitting a report using our online report form at ufocenter.com.
1: You can find more information about the Paracast on Twitter. Look for the Paracast. Look for two Paracast fan clubs on Facebook. Join either one, join both. We don't care. We just want you to get involved. You can also check out our second radio show after the PowerCast. And to do that, you've got to be a member of the PowerCast Plus for a modest subscription fee. We also offer the ad-free version of this show. We kill all the network ads, give you higher quality audio. We've got show transcripts. We even have videos and more to come. We're really putting something together here that the listeners who've joined love it. We think you will too. Go to plus.theparacast.com to learn more about the Paracast Plus. We get free ebooks for long term memberships. What can you lose? Try it month to month, by the year, by the five years, for a lifetime. Coming up, the 10th anniversary show of the Paracast. Peter Davenport, thank you for joining us on the Paracast.
7: Thank you, Gene. It's been a delight, and I'm honored by the invitation. I hope I've shared some information of interest with our audience today.
0: The Paracast, featuring Gene Steinberg and Christopher O'Brien, is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated.